0: Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast
1: of the Running With Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs, who is your least favorite local announcing team on League Pass?
1: Oh, this is perfect. Because I just finished watching the Celtics game. Listen, okay. I understand what they're trying to do. They, they don't really give a fuck about having uh, unbiased people. That's not what Boston sports is about. It's about complete bias. And going from Tommy Heinsohn rest in peace to Brian Scalabrini is just like it's like nothing even changed. I mean, it's it's just shocking how or maybe not shocking how how tough it is to watch that broadcast.
0: So, the Celtics are a good one. They're they're probably in the bottom 5 for me. As much as I like Mike Gorman, you know, real old school announcer, I like all the old school announcers. Like I like the Pistons guy. I think his name is George Blaha. I like um, the Bucks guy. Giannis. Giannis. Like he's like real, real distinct with his answer. There's a very, two very easy answers for me. They're both in the wonderful state of Texas. If I come across the Rockets or the Spurs broadcasts, I remember when we were doing Spurs week, our first week of the season, we had two Spurs Rockets games. And normally I don't, I don't listen to the commentary anyway. That one was all the way on mute (laughs) because I had to watch either of them, right? Like, you know, if a team is playing Atlanta, I'll watch the Atlanta broadcast. I really like the Atlanta broadcast. If a team is playing Brooklyn, obviously got to go with Ian Eagle or Ryan Rucco or and uh, Sarah Kustak, right? The other team, underratedly bad, I would say, is one of our teams this week, Dylan Hughes, the Golden State Warriors crew. (laughs) That is pure, pure Joe Laker propaganda. (laughs) And they fired Jim Barnett, one of the best color guys in the business. And it's the product. I can't watch Warriors broadcast now. So th- those are my four, Dylan.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough to choose the Pels broadcast because I really, really like the Pels broadcast. It's it's pretty solid. I don't know the name of the play-by-play guy, or yeah, the play-by-play guy, but he's really good. I've liked him for years. I think that's Joel Myers. Okay, that yeah, that that sounds right. He's, then, he's solid, man. He's real solid. Real
0: quick. Obviously, Mike Breen and uh, Clyde Frazier. That's by far the high class. But I like Neek. I don't know the play by play guy's name in Atlanta, but I really like the Atlanta broadcast. Yeah. Portland has a great broadcast. Minnesota. If you have a chance to watch a Minnesota broadcast, you'll learn something. So, um, Jim Pete and Dave Benz. So,
1: I like Charlotte too.
0: LaMelo! <laughs> La The guy is fucking Eric Collins and Del Curry. It's funny when the the color commentator is the one that has to be the calm guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: So um, we're kind of going away from the matter at hand. So our teams for the week, we're doing the Bulls, we're doing the Celtics, and we're doing the Warriors in that order. But first, Dylan Hughes, um, your Indiana Pacers are taking over all of national basketball news today. A lot of um, damning reports, you know, a report came out that as soon as. Uh, and so basically, uh, let me set this up. So last night, the team has kind of been spiraling for a while, right? I, I think that's fair to say, Dylan. Yes. So last night, it all came to a head when assistant coach Greg Foster was yelling at Dylan Hughes, favorite backup center in the league, Gogo Batadze on the court, like during a timeout, he was like straight up screaming at him. And Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb were basically having to hold Foster back. And then there's a giant, massive expose that comes out today in Bleacher Report by Jake L. Fisher, where he basically just exposes the Pacers organization, like just and Bjorken in particular. I thought, Dylan, before we get into like all the particulars, I thought the most damning detail was that T.J. Warren was the only guy who had played Bjorken. And as soon as they heard he was hiring him, T.J. Warren demanded a trade. I thought that was damning and incriminating.
1: Yeah, I actually that recalled a memory. Like I think someone mentioned that before that that TJ played under him at Phoenix and didn't like him. I don't remember where it came from or when it was, but I heard that before. Um, so yeah, it's that story was really well done. And of course, there's some um some saving face on the the side of Kevin Pritchard with the uh, oh, TJ didn't want to trade. And I think TJ has kind of said the same thing on Twitter and, you know, who really knows what, what that's about. And honestly, I don't think it matters. I don't know why they're rushing out of everything that happened. I don't know why they're rushing to squash that rumor. Um, Probably because that's the only guy they care about that's involved in this whole thing. But yeah, it's, This is the first time in my life as a Pacers fan that they've had something this crazy happen where the entire league is actually paying attention to it.
0: Like probably the craziest thing that's happened to the Pacers since Malik at the palace. Yeah. Like absolutely crazy. Like there was a, a, like a lot of details in there about how um, Bjorken was, you know, like he put on a really good face in the interview, right? Like, you know, and they only talked basketball. They didn't talk about like how he was with players, and to be honest, Dylan, when this stuff first, like last night, there was a Woj bomb, right? Like Bjorken's on the hot seat. You know, we've been seeing Bjorken's on the hot seat basically for what? Like the last week, I want to say. Like there was a, a Shams and Sam Amick report about it in The Athletic. There was a Woj report on it. And I think the um, one of the craziest things was just like, I there's so many crazy things to this story, but it sounds like that Pacers coach, um, Bill Baino, I want to say it was, Quit because he was being bullied by Bjorken. I mean, Dylan, you you can't as an organization allow coaches to bully guys like that.
1: I mean, I'll just say this right off the bat how how can you think adding three bald headed white men onto the same NBA coaching staff? It's not going to last. Okay, it's not going to last. That's <laughs> something Kevin Kevin Preacher should have seen this coming that that was not going to work. So if I'm not going to criticize Kevin Pritchard like that, that report made it seem like he's on the hot seat. Listen, he, they didn't do a good job with it. The fact that they interviewed like 20 people and they didn't do their complete due diligence on the guy they actually hired. It's not a good look. And like the fact that Chris Finch was one of those guys and he's like, helping turn Minnesota around mid season, you know, like they, they clearly made the wrong choice and like, they're going to get out of it and it's going to be fine. They'll probably still end up getting like D'Antoni or whatever. Um, But yeah, I like the, the report made it seem like they were just looking for basketball more than anything. And as a, as an NBA coach, you can't just focus on the X's and O's it's gotta be, it's gotta be more than that. And, player relationships are huge. Like we talk all the time about how important it is to have control over your locker room and respect from the locker room. And that's the reason you just fired Nate McMillan was because he basically lost the locker room. That's why you fired Frank Vogel is the same exact thing. Like Larry Bird has talked about this for years that, you know, after a few years, you start to lose the locker room. If you're not doing things, you know, the right way, if you're not winning. And that's what happened to Vogel. It's what happened to uh, McMillan. And it's happening to uh, Nate 2.0 right now, and it really doesn't seem like it has anything to do with winning because early in the season they were playing well, like offensively at least. And, uh, I mean, I think injuries have definitely compounded the issues, but it's as far as on the court, but obviously locker room stuff, the, the attitude of Nate is it's, – it's infectious in the complete wrong way.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I said, so, okay. When this story first came out yesterday, right. Like when it was starting to come out, I'm like, okay, there's, it's something with the players, right? Because we had this with McMillan last year. Like they fired McMillan because the players, he was like, you know, too abrasive for the players. Something to the, something to that effect. Right. Well, look at how the players approached Nate McMillan after like one of the first Atlanta games they played after uh, McMillan became the head coach and listen to what they're saying via anonymous reports. In like this jake l Fisher article, to um you know Jay Michael to uh, Scott Agnes, right? Like all the like when bad stuff happens, and I think Bill Simmons has said this before, but it doesn't happen often to the Pacers. Everyone who has the dirt will spill the dirt because they're so frustrated with what's going on. And this this seems to be clearly a case of that because everyone, I mean, listen, I thought the players were totally at fault here. I'm like, listen, give the guy a chance, you know you. have had him for 60 games in a no training camp. And it's been a really convoluted year where carousel comes back from cancer. But if all the players hate your guts, your one job as an NBA coach is to manage players. And the best way to manage players is to manage the egos and to make them feel good about themselves and give them tough love when they need tough love. Right. Like that's basically your job as an NBA head coach. You literally have no other responsibilities because what else is there for you to do? Right. So I think that Nate's easily. Listen. All right. Let me ask you this question. They're playing the Hawks. We're recording this on on Thursday, May 6th. Yeah. Thursday, May 6th. It's currently 6.42 p.m. Dylan Hughes, if the Pacers lose tonight to old Nate, is new Nate, to borrow a phrase from Caleb Lynn, get in the sack.
1: You know, I would usually say no because the season's so close to ending anyway. I mean, it's like just wait it out a week, basically, is what the point we're at right now, or 10 days or whatever. But honestly, it seems like, I mean, for, this, for the boiling point to get here this quickly, it's like maybe it's best to just to just stop it now. And hey, how ironic would it be if Greg Foster's like the interim head coach after the right. stuff that happened last night? Um, which, by the way, after reading that story, I have a little bit more sympathy for Greg Foster. And and the fact that Goga apparently was upset that he got suspended, like I think everyone is just pissed off right now. And and it seems like Nate has rubbed Greg Foster the wrong way, too. And I think maybe he's letting some of his aggression out on Goga, you know, and and vice versa, because um, Goga wasn't too happy about being chirped like that. So I just think everyone is over it, and it's it's been a very odd season for the Pacers because they they're not going to make the playoffs for the second time in the past eleven years. You know, that's it's just they they haven't really been a championship contender in whatever eight years now, but they're always there. They're always in the playoffs. And it's been first round exits for like five years now, but at least they're getting there. Right. And this is the first time where they're not going to make it. So there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of attitudes. And the fact that Nate doesn't know how to handle any of that stuff is just making it worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's bad. So I'm, I pulled up the article again, cause I didn't remember it, all of it. Cause I, um, I read it a couple hours ago, but one, I think the craziest detail to me <laughs> was that, TJ Warren opted to have surgery like a conditional surgery because he didn't want to be around this guy. <laughs> like I just you got to do research on these guys. Like people if you treat people well, it's so, okay. Let's just use the, like a great example, right? Greg Popovich Like he's a known hard ass. Right. But what does he do? He takes his players out for dinner. He buys them the most expensive wines. You know, he treats them. He treats them like colleagues more than like, you know, subjects. And this is what you have to do. Because nine times out of 10, unless you're making 10 million dollars, the majority of the players on the team are making more money than you. They you they are in charge of you, basically. I know, you know, oh, this team needs to have more discipline. They need to be better coach, blah, 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 blah. In reality, these guys are making like 30 like the stars are making 30 million a year. They you have to make them feel like okay, I feel comfortable with this guy coaching me. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And clearly, right, like on offense, Bjorkins unlocked Sabonis, right? Like there's no denying this. But Sabonis also was pissed off because he's having to do so much on defense. It's a dermot and holiday were frustrated because they're constantly switching on to bigger guys I, I think the other key takeaway i had from the story too is that nate wasn't adjusting his style to his team he was trying to make his team adjust to his style which i
1: mean dylan hughes how many times has that been successful in the history of basketball zero <laughs> exactly at so. least at least in the nba like from what i take because there was a lot of tidbits in there about how even when he was in in Phoenix and Toronto as the second or third guy on the staff, he was wanting to run things in some ways. And, like, I just think this dude should be a college coach. And, like, I don't know, as far as recruiting, I don't know if this is going to bode well for him that he's an asshole. But it, you can get away with a lot more in college because, uh, well, with the one in Dunair, it's a little bit different. But I guess that's about to go away. Um, but you can basically, you know, just treat college kids like shit because it's like, what else are they going to do? You know, the, the really good ones are going to transfer or go to the NBA. But I think a lot of these other guys, um, they're like, you know what? Like to win, this guy's a good coach. I'll just deal with it. And that's that. So like, I I think maybe you should look at going to college because apparently he couldn't get away with it in the G league either. So it's like. I just – I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm almost interested to see if he even gets any sort of job after this in the NBA because it just doesn't seem like there's much interest from players or even other coaches or GMs of wanting to deal with this dude because the basketball smarts he brings, it's just like overweighed by the fact that he's just an asshole.
0: I mean, generally speaking, Dylan Hughes, don't treat your – your associates slash underlings like assholes because no one will have positive things to say about you, right? Like I, I know Dylan, I treat you like a piece of shit, but you know, at the end of the day, you, you have some kind of Stockholm syndrome. You keep going back. This is the exception, not the rule. I'm obviously joking. Dylan and I have a great, great relationship. So, but I, I, you know, Pete, if you get treated like an asshole and I'm sure Dylan, you've had a, um bosses where you've worked that have been complete and total pieces of shit. It's not fun. Just like speaking from a human perspective, now imagine you're, you know, your job basically is to be with this person a hundred and however many days a year, right? That's not it's not a good environment just to thrive in. So I think that Bjorkens out of the paint. If not like tomorrow or like on Friday when this is being released, he'll be out of there probably by I don't know. He'll be out of there like the day after the play ends. Because barring catastrophic circumstances, they're not falling out of the plan. They've won too many games. Like so, okay. The way the standings are right now, Toronto is twenty-seven and thirty-nine. So they have six games left to make up to make up three wins. Right? Like as bad as Indiana's been, I can't see them going on a seven. They're thirty and thirty-five. I can't see them going on a seven-game losing streak to close the ceiling season, season, Dylan. Ugh. Toronto would have the tiebreaker if they went three and three, because one of those three wins would have to come against the Pacers. But I mean, Dylan, do you think the Pacers are, will fall out of the play in?
1: No, they won't. But the thing they have going for them is that Washington is like awesome right now. <laughs> that like they're, I think they're going to get blown out of the water by Washington and it's, it's going to be over. You know, that's, that just seems like the best case scenario for them. And I say best case scenario. Cause like you there, there's no point in winning. At this point for this team, it's, it's like, I understand that the Pacers way of living and working is by winning, but this is the one chance you have to take advantage of a bad situation and a really good draft. And, and it, like, that's the thing is this can flip around really quick. If you get a guy like Dan Tony or Terry Stotts in there with health, I mean, TJ Warren was probably their best player last year, if not their second best behind Sabonis. So, and I, like I I said that before the bubble too. So like, I'm not considering the fact that TJ was awesome in the bubble. Like he was just awesome last year on both ends of the floor. And the fact that he hasn't played this year has been a big deal. And like, if you, if you just put him in there and everything else still happened the way it's happened, they're probably like the seventh or eighth seed. Like he's just that good. He really is. And you know, Turner's been hurt, who's been – this has been his best season. Sabonis has, like, flickered back and forth. He's been bad on defense because he's been out of position, as the article mentions. Like, there's just a lot of things that have gone wrong, and a lot of it can be attributed to to health and the fact that you have a shitty coach that are about to fire. So right. it, it could turn around really quickly. And, like, again, if they if they get lucky in the draft or even if they just stay where they are and they get a solid, you know, guy to put on the bench – um, and then you get a really experienced coach. I mean, like I, I would say from a basketball standpoint, I'd like Terry Stotts, but let's not act like Mike D'Antoni. Like Mike D'Antoni may be the best relationship manager, like in the league. Like he's been around a long time. Cause I think he just knows how to handle guys and he knows how to fit rosters. Uh, he knows how to get the best out of the roster. Like he's not unlike Nate. He's not a guy that's going to just implement his style on whatever roster. Like, the, I mean, it may seem like that because the the Phoenix and Houston runs were kind of the same, but they had very similar players. Like, the, that Suns team was basically a modern day team, except 15 years ago, you know? So, right. I, I think that someone like Dantoni, who reportedly is the front runner again, uh, obviously, who knows, but, if they plug a guy like that in i think they're they're set it's just going to be like a little bit of a a valley year and then i think they can they can quickly turn this thing around
0: so let's look at the pacers remaining schedule so i had it i took a screenshot of it yesterday but i'm going to pull it up on basketball reference so you got the hawks tonight i think it's safe to say we both think the hawks are going to crush them um they got the wizards on saturday we've seen what the wizards have been doing to them lately <laughs> they have the Cavs next monday And that's that's a winnable game, right? And then you close out the season, so you got Philly, Milwaukee, the Lakers, and the Raptors. I mean, Dylan, I'm smelling one in six the rest of like at best the rest of the way. I like unless Philly sits all their guys or Milwaukee sits all their guys. I just I like even hell even if Milwaukee sits like, Giannis and Middleton, right? Or. If Philly sits and beat, I still think that they're going to crush the Pacers because the Pacers have no big man depth right now.
1: I would love to see Drew Holiday 1v5. I think he can pull it off.
0: I mean, hell, that's basically what he did against the uh, Rockets and they lost 143 to 136. There's no Kevin Porter Jr. on the the Indiana Pacers, though. So, I don't know. I think that the Pacers are – I think D'Antoni would be a great fit. I think he – this is the thing, right? He has the same principles, but he adapts to his personnel, right? Like, you wouldn't catch Steve Nash dead taking that many step backs in Phoenix, right? But Harden deployed the step back to wondrous effect many years, right? Like, D'Antoni adapted to his personnel, like when when they made the uh, Capella for Tucker trade last year, right? Was that for Tucker? No. Who was it for? They, Covington. Capella for Covington trade last year. D'Antoni adapted to his personnel. So... I think D'Antoni would be a good fit. Um, the Spurs players seem to like Becky Hammond. She might be a good fit. I mean, I don't know exactly. Uh, the guy from Minnesota that got passed over for Finch, David Vanderpool, Dame loves him. Dame and CJ love him, so maybe... And KD. So maybe you get that kind of guy to do a culture reset. Um, but, like, I think that they just need... And I think they need to get rid of some of the guys on this team too. I just think it's time to, you know, kind of start fresh. You keep Sabonis, You maybe keep Turner. I don't even know if you keep both of them, to be honest. Like you just need to shake it up somehow. And I don't know. I don't know. It's okay. Let's let this be the last question for the Pacers segment. Is Kevin Pritchard, the GM by the draft?
1: Yeah, I think he gets one more coach. I think he gets one more coach. And Herb Simon is not, he doesn't like change. Like for him to want to change the GM, I think it would have to be something a little bit more extreme than this. And like, as far as roster turnover, I think Pritchard has done a really good job of of managing his. Like, he had to trade Paul George. That was the first thing he had to do. He gets two all-stars out of it. He has to trade all a depot, and he gets a really good young, cheap player in Levert who. Probably not an all-star, but, like, he's close to that kind of player. Um, Like, you know, McMillan was a good coach while he was here, and that ran its course. And he made – like, this is really the one mistake I think he's made outside of drafting TJ Leaf. <laughs> so, you know, the, I, I think he gets one one more coach, and then after that maybe, maybe you start thinking about that. But, I mean, I, I think he's probably got another three or four years, really.
0: Yeah, I, I can understand that. Just I feel like, you know, Herb Simon reminds me a lot of Jerry Reinsdorf, right? Very conservative. Um, and I've I've had to live through a lot of Jerry Reinsdorf decisions, right? Hell, he hired a fucking fossil in Tony La Russa to manage my baseball team. And like Jerry Reinsdorf, just to use the example that I know, right? He doesn't quit guys, like Kenny Williams, he was the uh, GM for the White Sox the year they won the World Series, right? I believe he was the general manager from I want to say 2000 to about 2011, 12, right? And by the time he was done being the general manager, he got elevated to president. He was trading draft picks or he was trading prospects all the time. Like good prospects were like rentals, right? Like he would trade for like Alex Rios. Um, we did a half season of Ken Griffey Jr. Don't be surprised if the White Sox sign Albert Pujols. They're very attracted to those big names. Um, I think that conservative leadership as an owner is bad. Like I think that you need to be on the edge of pushing things right. Like it's tough because you know all these guys don't have unlimited pocketbooks, right? Like as much as we like to think, but I don't know. I just feel like you need to be a lot less conservative and more. Not reactionary, I'd say, but somewhere in the middle between conservative and reactionary. Like, I think you need to find the balance. Like, Mark Cuban, I think, has a good balance. Although, like, you know, they've... It <laughs> might be a bad example since they've had the same GM and coach for, like, the last 15 and 10 years, respectively. But, you know, like, I feel like if things got bad, like, if shit hit the fan, Donnie Nelson would be out of there. You know what I mean? Rick Carlisle would be out of there. So, I, I don't know. I feel like you. it's obviously a case-by-case basis, but... <laughs> They've been so bad at drafting, Dylan. Like, really, they've shit the bed so many times. Like, you could look at the 2019 draft where they drafted Goga, and I, I mean, we both like Goga, but I mean, that stretch right after Goga with like Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, Matisse Tybel, right? Like, it's rough. You know, 2018 draft Aaron Holiday. Not much they could have done there. Um, but 2017, TJ Leaf over OG and John Collins. I mean, Dylan, what was the last good Pacers draft pick? And I don't think Pritchard made the last good Pacers draft pick. Like, was the last good Pacers draft pick, well, Miles, I don't know if Miles counts. Was the last good Pacers draft pick Lance Stevenson?
1: (laughs) It might be. I mean, like, to play devil's advocate to that, I would like to look at the draft, and maybe I'll do this as, like, homework this week. Like, look at the teams that make the playoffs every year and consistently draft well. Because when you're picking from 18 and under, you know you're you're gonna miss a lot. It's just kind of how it is. But I mean, I, and that's not complete defense because look at Portland. You know, Portland seems to nail it every year, and they they have low picks all the time. Toronto. I mean, obviously Toronto can send them to fucking like Liberia. They're gonna find a backup shooting guard. You know, like they their Messiah is just on another level as far as that. But, like, there's a handful of teams that that do a good job of unearthing guys, it seems like, and, and finding really useful players at disadvantaged positions. And the Pacers, yeah, like, they definitely haven't done that. I mean, the first-round picks they've had over the past 10 years, like, I want to go back and look because I don't even remember really, but there's been a lot of bad ones. Like, Tyler Hansbro um, was – I think the last lottery pick before miles or before Paul George and like Paul George and Miles Turner are your two best picks of the past, you know, 11 years. And they happen to both be lottery picks. <laughs> so that's, that's what makes you a little bit uh, more interested in having a good pick this year. Cause it's hard to mess up when you're in the top 15, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. Cause you've had two different GMs, you know, so I I don't know what what exactly is causing them to do so bad in the draft, but it's uh yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely tough. But again, I want to compare them to some of these other teams and and see how good or bad everyone else is doing.
0: Can I give you the uh, Spurs first round draft pick since two thousand eight? Yes. So okay, so two thousand eight, this guy you might have heard of went to our alma mater, George Hill. Two thousand nine. They didn't have a first round pick but they selected Dewan Blair who played for them. Was a was a good player. 2011. Uh, 2010 was James Anderson who didn't do shit but you know, listen, we all have our misses, right? 2011, 29th pick, Corey Joseph, still in the league. Um 2013, Livio Jean Charles who never played in the NBA. 2014, pick 30, Kyle Anderson. 2015 Pick 26, Nicola <laughs> I That sounded like a racist Russian accent. Um, never played in the NBA. 2016, DeJounte Murray, 29th pick. 2017, 29th pick, Derek White. 2018, Lonnie Walker, 18th pick. 2019, Luka Samanich and Keldon Johnson. Luka has just come over to the league, and obviously we this is the Keldon Johnson fan club. Then 2020, 11th pick, Devin Vassell. So... I mean, that's what like eight for 10, basically. And the two guys they whiffed on were two European guys. Obviously, it's the Spurs, right? They're like the the crown jewel of sports, but you got it hit on those late first round picks or second and second round picks to become a title, title contender. You know, Draymond Green, a guy we're going to talk about extensively today, 35th pick in the 2012 draft. Right? The Pacers could have taken Draymond Green. Would he have been Draymond if he wasn't on the Warriors? Maybe not. Would he have contributed to a winning team? Probably. Like, I mean, those defensive skills transfer.
1: So hey, hey you want to know who they picked that year too? All right, that was the plumble year. Yep. Miles Plumley. Not even the good Plumley. I would have taken Mason. No, nope, it was Miles.
0: I thought Miles was gonna be good coming out of college, but I think we've spent long enough on this Pacers story. Unless you want to add anything else before we move on.
1: No, I'm just I'm just sitting I'm just sitting waiting for the uh, the building implosion, man. I'm just I woke up early, got my popcorn, I'm just waiting for that building to implode finally and see them rebuild a new beautiful building in its place.
0: I think that's that's a good way to move on to our first team of the week. So our first team is the Chicago Bulls. My Chicago Bulls, they're currently 26 and 39. They have the seventh best lottery odds, except Dylan Cubes. You brought this up before the show. Their pick goes to Orlando unless it's in the top four right now, set the seventh best lottery odds. So there's a 31% chance of the pick jumping into the top four at this moment in time, obviously not the best odds and not where you thought you'd be after you traded for Vucevic um, their last five games. Listen, it's just been a shit show since the trade deadline for the bulls at the trade deadline. Let's, let's go ahead and check their record. They were 19 and 24. They are currently, 26 and 39 so they've won seven games since the trade deadline and they were in 10th place I believe when they made the trade so the last five we got they beat the Miami Heat 110 to 102 and then lost to the Knicks 113 to 94 lost to the Bucks 108 to 98 lost to the Hawks 108 to 97 and then lost to your 76ers 106 to 94 Dylan Hughes first question for the Bulls did they go for it too soon I mean, they, that was a splash move. They made at the trade deadline, Wendell Carter, two first round picks um, for Vucevic and Alfred Camino, who is obviously just a salary throw-in for the trade, but, and obviously a uh, bullshit that auto Porter too, but did they go for it too soon? Should they have waited for the roster, like in the off season to just try to, you know, sort out your roster, you know, what you're doing with marketing and what you, what you were going to do with Wendell Carter. It's um, like, what would you have done, Dylan? Do you think that they tried to do something too soon?
1: Okay. I have a relatable, like, as a, let me just say this. Okay. This is my first year as a dynasty fantasy football manager. And I have a very relatable story to this that I think helps me understand where the bulls are coming from. Okay. Okay. So let's put this in perspective. All right. Like this, this league, like, you know, you know the teams are better than you, you have a longer term perspective. Like I, I got DK Metcalf which was a pick everyone's jealous of. Now I got Steph Diggs, who had like one of the best receiving years out of everyone, you know, Kenny Galladay, like injuries and all that, but he's on a new team. You know, the, the, the team is like young, but it's got a lot of talent. Right. So I'm looking forward to the future. I'm not trying to jeopardize that, but I made a mistake, a very bad mistake. I was like, okay, I think, I'm playing well right now. This team could win this year if I make a small splash. My small splash was trading a first-round pick for James Conner. Now, James, here's the thinking, okay? James Conner at this time was the goal line back for a good offense. Uh, Steelers have a good offensive line. I'm like, this is going to work. Like, this, I don't like that I have to give up a first-round pick. But, you know, I think it's going to be worth it. Because my only running back that was good was Zeke Elliott, who was really not good this year. So it was a little bit of a desperation move as well. But I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this. Literally as soon as I do it, James Connor starts sucking, and my entire roster starts sucking thanks to injuries and things like that. So I start sinking to the bottom of the league. I end up with I would have had the third overall pick this year. And instead, I gave it for James Conner, who is, by the way, on the Cardinals now. (laughs) So he wasn't even good enough for his own team to keep, but I'm stuck with him. So, you know, it's a tough move, but let's compare it to the Bulls situation. Okay, you got a young roster moving forward. Thanks to Zach Levine, you have a better shot. Like, you're not going to win anything, but you could definitely make the playoffs if you add this one guy, right? And it doesn't feel like it's too much to give up because this guy you're trading for is good. So it's going to, it's going to be fine. And what happened to the bulls fucking ever, everything went to shit. Okay. Levine had the health protocol thing. Vucevic has battled whatever injuries and all kinds of other problems with like fitting in. And it's just been horrible. Like they're tanking and see, they're, they're probably jealous of me because if they get the third best lottery odds, they're, they're, they're fine. Right. They can not completely lose their pick. But I think it was – I don't think he was the wrong move because I can can understand where they were coming from. Like, Levine – you have Levine, who's been just phenomenal this year. You have a good young group around him. You put Vucevic in, and everything should work out. It didn't work out. Like, everything is so much easier in hindsight, right? But if you go back to the trade deadline, we were praising that trade. It was a great trade. it it didn't feel like they gave up too much. And now that everything's fallen to shit, it looks like they've given up too much, but I I think it was a fine move. And the problem for them now is they have to stick with this. Like they can't start trying to, to be cute with the roster and, Oh, we're going to, we're going to draft this guy. That's maybe a project or, Oh, we're going to sign this flyer of a guy that may not be good for a couple of years. Like, you have to go in on this roster now. You have to stick with this winning mindset because you have two all-stars, basically, right? And yes, this year has sucked, but you have to do all you can to find someone on free agency that can complement those two guys. And and this is something that's a little bit premature for a discussion we're gonna have, but listen. Kyle Lowry is going to swing something for someone this year. And if I'm the Bulls, I fucking throw everything I have at Kyle Lowry. I I throw a billboard up. I maybe, like, do some sort of projection on Lake Michigan of Kyle Lowry's face. Like, you got to do something. Because if you get Kyle Lowry on this team, you're the fifth best team in the East at worst. If you don't, then losing that pick really sucks. And by the way, yes, Kyle Lowry is basically the only option because Chris Paul has like a $40 million player option that there's no way in hell he's turning down, especially to leave a, what's probably going to end up as the best team in the West. He's not leaving that situation. And Mike Conley also could be on the best team in the West. I don't see him leaving Utah after that it basically goes down to Patty mills. Like you don't have another option that's going to really move the needle. So it like, it's, it's almost contradictory for me to say it was a good move, but also they have to get Kyle Lowry or they're fucked, but that's, that's kind of where they're at.
0: I, I, it just shows the nature of this roster though, right? Like, let's just go through some of the pieces they have. I really like some of the pieces on this roster, Dylan. Like I like, I don't think Kobe white's the answer, right? You love Kobe white, but he's like going to be a good score off the bench for somebody. Like he can be, he's like what we were talking about with Russell last week. He's not going to be what Russell is in Minneapolis, but he could be like half of that. He could do like half of Russell. The Pratt, like, and I like Pat Williams. I love Pat Williams. I don't know what you're going to do with Larry marketing. I don't know if Daniel Tice is a free agent. I don't know if you're going to keep him Thad young. um, He is going to be a free agent after next year. And he's 32. And we love Thad, but, you know, 32 years old, there's a chance. I, I think Thad is going to have a very Paul Millsap kind of trajectory here. And so he'll be useful for a little while longer, but they really screwed the pooch by not getting Lonzo. Like that was like, they need a point guard, right? And we're going to talk about this later because we have a question about which team needs point guard the most and spoiler alert, Chicago is in there. So like, I like Garrett Temple. I like, um, hell, I like the Troy Brown pickup. I don't know why he's not playing more. I don't know how I feel about Denzel Valentine. But it felt like they jumped with a shark because this team, we both really like them, right? But they're, it's safe to say, even with the Busevich trade, they're still middle of the pack. Like, I think they could be better. Yeah, like, I think they could. You know, next year, they could probably be an eight seed. But you don't give up two first-round picks to just be an eight seed. You know what I mean? You give up two first round picks to be, you know, strong contenders like for the playoffs, like four or five. And if they get Lowry, they'll be in the four or five seat. I I think that's safe to say because Lowry totally changes the complexion of this roster. Yada, yada, yada. I just feel like they could have saved themselves a lot of money. I know Lonzo's gonna get a bag this offseason, but Lonzo still is gonna get less of whatever Lowry gets, right? Lowry's going to have himself a lot of suitors the Clippers, the Lakers, um, the Sixers, the just whoever, right? Everyone in the league is gonna want Kyle Lowry because they see what's happening with Chris Paul and they're like, it's literally the same thing. It's just Kyle Lowry doesn't get as much pub because he's not um he's not Chris Paul. Right? Like, obviously, Chris Paul is better than Lowry, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, it's pretty close to the same thing you would get from Chris Paul at this stage. I just, I want this team to be good. I want the the NBA is better when the Bulls are good. I don't think that... With Vucevic's defensive issues and with, you know, just a bunch of cavalcade of other factors, I just think that they just went too soon. That's just my opinion.
1: Well, really what the bigger problem is, is that their last handful of lottery picks just have not really panned out. So you trade Wendell, didn't really pan out. And it's still a little bit soon, but he's not nearly as good as people thought he would be. Uh, Larry Larry Markkinen just hasn't. He's flickered back and forth between being awesome and not awesome. And Kobe White, again, like you said, really good bench guy, but that's probably his ceiling. So you out of those three picks, you may come into next year with one of them. <laughs> and if you, if you just hit on one of those guys, you're in a much different situation. And like, luckily they got Pat Williams, but that was only because they got the fourth pick instead of the seventh. It's like that seventh pick is where they really start screwing things up. Um, so I don't, maybe they're dodging something this year by not having their pick. <laughs> Cause if they end up with the seventh pick again, then they'd probably mess it up somehow. But that I think that's the bigger issue. Is they just haven't drafted well. When you're in the top ten consistently, you have to make good picks at least half of the time. If you if you're in the draft four times and you get two really good guys out of it, you're set. But I mean, they got Levine in the Jimmy Butler trade, and everything after that has basically not been what it not as good as it could have been. So I, I think really that's the bigger issue, and luckily. You know, the front office is shaken up, so maybe that starts changing. But, of course, this year they most likely won't have a chance to prove that.
0: So, okay, we talk about teams that were really shitty drafting later in the draft, right? We were talking about that with the Pacers. After the Bulls drafted Jimmy Butler in 2011 with the 30th pick, the first-round picks for my Chicago Bulls. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, Dylan Hughes, but the content must go on. So, okay, 2012, pick 29, Marcus Teague all right 2013 pick 20 tony snell 2014 oh here's here's some good picks Dylan. right they drafted yusuf nurkic and gary harris and then what did they do they shipped their asses to denver for doug mcdermott and i know listen doug has been good for you right i i get that i get that i, I get it and i respect it he sucked for the bulls okay he absolutely fucking sucked for the bulls and then the next year we draft bobby portis Right, oh, and along the way, we trade for the draft rights to Nikola Miritich. I'll say that. So that's that's one good move packs did, and then it resulted in Portis and Mirotic punching each other in the face in practice. Um, 2016, we draft we draft Denzel Valentine. 2017, we make the Jamie Butler trade to Minnesota, and we ship out the 16th pick, and then Dylan Hughes, and then we sell the 38th pick to the Golden State Warriors. And that was the day I declared myself no longer a Bulls fan. And then, 2018, Wendell Carter and Chandler Hutchison. 2019, Kobe White and their second-round pick, Daniel Gafford, was probably the best guy they drafted from 2016 to 2019. And he's now on the Wizards. (laughs) So, this team, and obviously it's a new regime, Karnishevist, was in Denver, who's to say how much of the success in Denver was Karnishevich and how much of it was uh, how much of it was Tim Connelly but hey, new culture right, so you know, Pat Williams, I love the Pat Williams pick, but Garpax totally and completely fucked this franchise for years and now they have to trade for Vucevic to get out of the hole, and I think that's the problem you have, right, when you are encumbered with terrible executives for, basically Garpax just they basically forgot how to function after the 2011 draft. Every move they made after that was completely and totally awful, right? Like, before that, they drafted Ben Gordon. They drafted Kirk Heinrich. They drafted um, – they traded Tyrus Thomas for Marcus Aldridge, but that was, like, their one miss in that time. They drafted um, They drafted, I don't know if I said Luol. They drafted Luol. They drafted Luol and Ben Gordon in the same draft, right? Like, they were pretty good before – like, they drafted Taj Gibson, um, James Johnson, who didn't stick around, but – and they drafted really well from like 2000 from 2004 to 2011. And then it just, or I guess Heinrich was 2003. And then they just forgot how to draft. Like it was, it was incredible. Just how, set, how quickly it went South. And I, Dylan, I really can't help, but think it set the franchise back probably three or four years.
1: Yeah. It's like, and, and this was something that we talked about earlier in the, in the season with, the bulls have to decide where they want to go. Right. Cause Levine is way better than he's ever been. So it's like, you have to maybe just look at this as almost like an outlier year and be like, well, you know, we'll see what happens after this, but we can't give up stuff for a good player. If we're not going to, we're not going to win this year. And, you know, they thought that the Vucevich trade was going to push over for them, and, and so did we. I think we thought they had a good chance of making the play-in after that. And, again, it's just been a lot of bad luck has really been the problem. I don't think it's been the fact that, you know, it's not that Vucevich has sucked when he's on the court. It's that he hasn't been on the court, and neither has Levine. It's like when those two guys aren't on the floor, you're going to suck. Like, that's just how it works. And when you can't fall back on any of your draft picks from recent years, Yeah, that's tough. And, you know, going back to the Gafford point, I mean, when I saw that Bobby Marks tweet yesterday, I'm like, thank you. I've been talking about Daniel Gafford before they even made this trade because I thought he was the best center on the Bulls this year. Like Wendell has just not not been that good. And when Wendell was out for a period, like Gafford played really well for them. And then they trade him for Troy Brown Jr., who I kind of like, but he just hasn't played. So it's like, I don't know. There's just a lot of like ancillary decisions that are being made that are just not adding up to wins. And, you know, it's the first year of this new regime and we'll see what happens. But it's been a uh, it's been an odd one for sure.
0: Yeah. And like, I think that the Tice trade might have been the best, like other than the booch acquisition. I think that the Tice trade might have been the best thing they did because Tice is really good. Yeah. I think as a backup and he can like I thought the appeal of what they did at the deadline was you could play you could play Vooch with marketing you could play marketing with Thad, you could play Thad with Tice, you could play Tice with Vooch, right? You could do all these kind of interchangeable things. And you know, listen, it just hasn't worked out because Thad is probably their best playmaker. Thad and Vooch are probably their best playmakers. So I don't know, Dylan. I just I get so frustrated by this team because I feel like they could be better, but I, I, I think are we, are we good to move on to the last uh to our last bulls question?
1: Yes, please.
0: Okay. So we're going to rank these teams in terms of needing a point guard. So I chose the Clippers, the bulls, the Knicks, Miami, and our next team, the Boston Celtics. So Dylan, what are your five?
1: So I'm starting off with the bulls is the most important because just what we discussed, like if, if they don't get a point guard, they it's, they're just basically a wasted year, a wasted year and a half. Cause if you don't keep your pick this year, then what's the point of losing, which is what they've done. And they're going to lose next year again, because if you look at the East right now, I mean, the wizards and pacers are automatically going to be moved up in the, in the standings next year and Toronto probably is too. Like, it's, it's going to get more competitive next year. This has been – like, this is the year to be good in the East. Look what the Knicks have done. <laughs> the Knicks are not the fourth seed in the East, but because of everything that's happened, they they are. Um, this, this was the year for the Bulls to be the Knicks, basically, and they screwed up. So, they, they really need – again, they need someone like Lowry or Mike Conley or whatever – to basically save their mistakes from this season. Um, After that, I want the Clippers because the Clippers, like their title window is closing pretty quick. I mean, I don't think Kawhi is going to leave this year, but he could, like he has that option. And it's been, I mean, I just really don't expect them to even like, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make the conference finals again this year, if that happens, I mean, why would Kawhi stay, right? It's been, it's just not been what we expected it to be. I thought him going to the Clippers was like easy money. They're going to make the finals. And it's not been that way at all. I mean, Denver has surged. The Mavericks have surged. Like there's just like Phoenix, there's just a bunch of teams jumping them right now. And they could still beat those guys in the playoffs, but we got to see it to believe it. Cause again, as I've talked about a million times, They would have lost to Dallas in the first round last year if if Porzingis didn't get hurt, you know? And that's just not something that this team was ever expected to have. So they, you know, as we've talked about recently, like their their playmaking is better than it was last year, but they still could use an upgrade there. After that, I went with the Knicks. I think the Knicks could survive without an awesome point guard because Barrett and Randall are, are like, those are your ball handlers, if you just have like an off, if you have Patty Mills, for example, you're in a really, really good spot. You just need a guy that can kind of handle business, hit shots, and that's it. They don't need Kyle Lowry. If they get him, obviously that's really great. <laughs> They're in a great spot. I don't think they need him, but it, it would really be a nice compliment to what they have going on right now. And by the way, we don't need to discuss it, but the Julius Randall contract situation is very interesting coming up. I saw a little segment on ESPN about it earlier. Like it's, it's really interesting to see what's going to happen with that. So I'm fascinated as a notorious Randall critic. I'm not going to call myself a hater critic. Um, You're on the line. I'm on the line. Yes. I'm on the line, but unlike the Bagley's of the world, I I give credit where it's due with, with Randall. It's just, I don't think he's the best player on a finals team or finals contender. And I think a, a lot of Knicks fans have convinced themselves of that, which is understandable. They don't know what winning looks like, so it's it's foreign to them. So I get it. Um, after that, I went with Boston. Boston is – they're in a great spot no matter who plays point guard. But, and we're going to discuss this because they're our next team. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think most teams in the league would love that outlook for the next five to ten years. And having a point guard to compliment those guys would be awesome, but kind of like the Knicks, they don't really even rely on point guard right now because Kemba has just not been that that guy. And they've been fine, not as good as they want. They've been fine without it. So they definitely could use an upgrade, but I don't think they have to. It's just something over the next couple of seasons at least they need to look at. Um, And then Miami, basically the same thing. Like – Look at last season. Goran Dragic did one thing. He hit open threes. That's not a lot to ask for. And he did, it, he did it well, obviously, better than Kendrick Nunn has done this year. And that's been a big reason why they haven't been nearly as good. But you got Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. It's, it's like the same as Boston. You, you have two really good hand, like handlers and playmakers. And you just need a complimentary guy to suit them. You don't need... Kyle Lowry again would be great to get him. You don't need that guy. You just need someone that can fill the holes. So that's where I'm coming in with that. It's like, they, they're really just some complimentary pieces away from being back to the level they were last year. And I'm interested to watch them this upcoming week and talk about them next week, because honestly, I haven't watched them that much. I don't know why they're in the playing in tournament. I, I really don't. So I'm interested to dig in on them and see what's going on.
0: So that that that's all interesting, um, because we, not completely different, but pretty different. So I'll, I'll I'll kind of rapid fire through mine. So I got the Bulls at one. I think that was kind of obvious. I think they're by far the team that needs a point guard most in the league. Just any semblance of a point guard, like you mentioned that they need probably a Lowry or a Conley or someone of that ilk. But like hell, Patty Mills would help this team so much, right? If you could steal Derek White from the Spurs, that would help so much, right? Like, just something like that, where you just need an actual point guard on this roster because they don't have, like, Sato is fine as a backup, but he's not getting the job done. Then I had the Knicks second because I think they could take a leap next year with an actual starting point guard next to them, right? And I think even, like, with a Patty Mills kind of guy, I think that they could take a leap into, you know, that top six, seven of the East next year. I think that there's something there, but when you're starting Alfred Payton and you're playing him, you know, 20 minutes a game, that's a legitimate problem. And he's not a complimentary complimentary kind of guy at all. So I get, this is where the list starts to diverge. So I had Miami at three. I think Miami, the thing is Dragic is getting old, right? Dragic is like almost 35 at this point. It's remarkable that he's held up as long as he has, And, you know, I, you just have to assume at some point, Goran Dragic is going to fall off. And when he does, it's going to be ugly because he likes to shoot. He's very good at it. Right. Like I would say in the past 10 years, he's one of the best scoring guards in the league. I don't think that there's a doubt about that. Like he was very efficient and very good playing point guard and scoring, but it's going to happen at some point. And Kendrick Nunn's not the guy. Like, I think that that's safe to say. So give me Miami three. Then I put the Clippers for because I'm really liking like how we talked about last week, how they piecemealed together their ball movement. And I don't know if it'll work next year, but I think that what they did and how they patched things together, I thought it was good enough for now. Again, next year might be a little bit of a different proposition, especially with how wacky the West is, right? Like you brought up all those teams like Dallas and Phoenix and um, Denver I mean, I could poke holes in all of those teams and you could make a case. Like we talked about last week, you could make a case that they're in the finals. So I think I really could go either way to me. Like I could see, I see your point for sure. I'm not saying I don't, but I, you know, I could see the Clippers making the finals relatively easily, especially with, we're not going to talk about the LeBron stuff, but holy shit, <laughs> that's kind of a mess right now. And then I had Boston last and here's why. Max Smack, like he's been like, I really like some of the stuff he's doing running the point while Kemba, when Kemba's out, like watching the games. And I I guess I have to caveat it with, he did it against Portland, which you and I could probably run an efficient driving kick offense against Portland, but I thought that he was doing, he can kind of, again, talking about the piecemeal, he can piecemeal together a decent point guard for like roll for you until you get someone better to run the ship. And he goes back to being, you know, his regular old self, but like he has all the point guard tendencies, right? Like he can move the ball. He's like, you know, spot up shooter. Basically everything you want. You just need probably someone to run the ship a little better. But um anything else on the bulls, Dylan, before we move on to the uh to Celtics. No, we are done
1: with the bulls.
0: <laughs> Thank God. Hopefully we are done with them until the offseason. So um, next time we'll talk about you, Chicago will be in the lottery time. So shout out to Zach Levine. He is coming back. Um He'll be, he'll have played the game while we're recording this. So shout out to him. Um Shout out to my fantasy team. Cause he's on my fantasy team. Speaking of uh, fantasy teams, but let's go ahead and move on to the Boston Celtics. So the Celtics have had, they've really had a fucked up couple of weeks. So Let's go. Let's go through their last five games. So they lost the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, one nineteen to one fifteen, in a game where Marcus Smart and Evan Fournier combined to shoot eight for thirty one. They then beat the Hornets, one twenty to one eleven. They then beat the Spurs, one forty 140 to one forty three to one forty, in one of the wildest games you'll ever see, where Jason Tatum finished with sixty, and they came back from down like thirty at halftime. They then lost the Trailblazers. 129 to 119. And at the end of that game, um, Jalen and Jason ran into each other, but thankfully uh, they're both fine. And I think Jalen's going to play in the relatively near future. And then they absolutely walloped the magic last night, 132 to 96, they're 35 and 31 good for six in the East. Um, Dylan Hughes, first question, <laughs> did this team blow their chance to win the title? Cause to me, it, this is my, just like a little for the question. This is just my little, um, editorializing I put in here it like even at full Health it feels like this team's like fifth at best fifth
1: in the conference. They had their chances they were close and in hindsight as crazy it is to say if they kept Terry Rozier man, they're looking pretty right now. it's it's just hilarious and and obviously Kyrie's the much 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 better player. But obviously, there was more to than the on-court stuff with that. But it's just hilarious to look back at. Man, was that 2018 when they were playing the Cavs in the East Finals? Like the looking forward, like you knew Kyrie was probably out, um, and they had him the next year still. But you knew they was that roster was like, man, we don't even need Kyrie. Like that's that's how they played that year when he was hurt. Um, so then the next year, obviously things, you know, don't, it wasn't nearly as good of a season and then Terry Rozier's gone, uh, and Kyrie's gone and you bring Kemba in and I mean, they were, they, they were good last year. Like they got got to the East finals, but it's just, they, they probably weren't going to beat that Cavs team, but they could have beat the Heat. You know, it's just Kemba was not good in the playoffs last year. And, and that's why they're on that point guard list. We just talked about like Kemba is, he's, he, as I mentioned, pre-show, like he had a very short-lived peak. He's like, when you climb up to Mount Everest and you have to stay up there for a few minutes and go down, otherwise you're going to die because it's Mount Everest. Like you, you stay at that peak for a couple seconds and you're down, you're moving down. That, that's what Kemba's career has been like. He's been slowly climbing away, chipping away at the ice, trying to get up that Mount Everest. He got there, and now he's coming back down. And unfortunately for the Celtics, they still owe him a lot of money. So it's it's going to be tough for them to move off of that. And as far as a Kyle Lowry destination, I don't think the Raptors want any any Kemba Walker coming back their way. So it's going to be tougher for the Celtics to maneuver out of that one. but. I'm not at the point where I'm going to say they're they've blown it because at the end of the day, you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those two are going to be good for a long time. And I mean, we had a debate early in the year, whether Jalen was better than Jason, like long-term that was something that we didn't even expect to happen last year. Right. Like Jalen Brown has very quickly turned himself into a really good player. And as far as ceiling goes, I don't know how far they are from that, but they're both still really young. So I think when you look at the other teams in the East, like Milwaukee possibly has some time left. Cause their core is still pretty young outside of drew, but Brooklyn is going to have, you know, three years probably then they're out. Um, Miami. Once Jimmy gets old, they're out, you know, and there's not—I mean, there's going to be someone like—I don't want to say Cleveland, but there's going to be someone that's going to rise up. But Boston is probably going to have those two guys for a long time, and they're—I think they're going to outlive, so to speak, these other contenders right now. And they just got to keep making smart moves. Um, and I think they'll—I think they'll be fine. So, due to the age of those two guys, I, I don't think the, the window is completely closed right now.
0: I think that's fair. And I'm really liking some of, like, we, I really ragged on the Celtics last time around for not drafting Sadiq Bey, for drafting Neesmith, Aaron Neesmith over Sadiq Bey. And I think they're basically even players at this point. Like, the way Neesmith has been playing the last, like, month or so, like, I think that it's basically a draw. The only, like, real mistake they made this year was just trading away the Desmond Bain pick. That still baffles me. I don't know why, because Desmond Bain... Was clearly gonna come in and be. I mean, we both agree Desmond Bain's making the all-rookie team this year, right? Like I like when we do when we sit down to do our all-rookie teams, Desmond Bain's definitely on there. I think that's safe to say, right?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: So that's like micro mistakes they made. Hindsight is 2020, right? Like I told you beforehand, I was looking at um, free agency grades after the 2019 offseason for the um like for this move in particular, for the Kemba for Rozier trade. And I mean, it was well-received that the Celtics got Kemba, right? Like he was coming off, like you said, a really good all-star campaign. But the problem with small guards is you can't expect them to stay healthy, right? Like it's remarkable that Chris Paul has had the health that he has, but even then he's been nicked and bruised a lot of times over the past 16 years. He's been in the league, right? Like it just happens. You're small, you should not be going, running into screens from Rudy Gobert, right? From Carl Anthony Towns. That hurts. Hell, I can't imagine anything in the world hurts more than just a regular dude like Bledsoe's beefy, like who's like a right, like Facundo Campazzo, right? I can't imagine anything hurts more to him than running into a Steven Adams screen, right? But this is the life they've chosen to live. <laughs> and unfortunately, with that life, that means you're usually, if you're an all star, that usually means you're done by the time you're 30. Look at the last small point guard the Celtics had before Kyrie, Isaiah Thomas. He's cooked. And it's I feel bad for him, but just the fact of the matter is he's done as a effective, like as a star player for sure. And he hasn't really stuck in the league since he got hurt. So I feel like Kemba at least got a back, right? And at least you know he's gonna get paid for his because he took a really cheap contract, I think, when he was um after his rookie deal, I think he took like four for forty-four or something like that. He was on like a really cheap deal, so I'm glad he got it back. But I think his days as an NBA star are done. And especially on the team with with Jalen and Jason, where they need to be taking the majority of the shots. Right now, the shot distribution is so Jason's at twenty-one shots a game, basically twenty point seven, and Jalen's at nineteen point two, and that's about right. Like those guys need those shots. Like, they need the majority of the shots in your offense because those guys are the hubs of your offense. Those guys are the elite wing players you're going to need for, the like, you know, to be your fulcrums. And the problem with Kemba is he's a scoring guard. This is the problem even, like, before all the injuries. He's not going to set, like, you know, he's not going to dribble patiently, you know. He's not going to do the Jason Kidd where he swats your arm away while he waits for Jalen to come around to floppy. (laughs) right like that's not that's not Kemba's game he wants to run a pick and roll and get into that score that way I just I feel like this team he's not long for this team and that kind of melds into our next question we're already kind of talking about it so basically the question is is it time to ship Kemba out and I think it sounds like both of us are saying an emphatic yes like it's unfortunately we both really like Kemba but I just I think his time as an effective star player in the NBA is done
1: yeah. I mean, it's, it's becoming clear and it's surprising after the whole Isaiah Thomas thing, I didn't even think about that, but it is surprising after all that, that they just thought, Hey, this 29 year old dude that plays every game every year and has carried a terrible franchise on his back for whatever, seven years. I think he's a good investment for the future, you know? And like, again, it's so easy to say some hindsight. Cause I, I've loved Kemba and I like that move for them, but Hey, I don't get paid to run an NBA team, so I I can talk shit if I want. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is a little surprising how that went down. And, like, just rewinding a bit, again, going back to the Rozier thing, I think the biggest problem for the Celtics, really the past five years, is that Age has just not known the right time to pull the trigger. So let's go back to the 2018 East Finals, Okay. So you lose in seven games to LeBron. Really one of the few times LeBron has been pushed to the brink like that in the East. As I mentioned before, the Pacers were really the only team that's done it um, after he went to Miami. Like once he got to Miami and it was just him running through teams, he went to Cleveland, Toronto, and Atlanta were just putting up an embarrassing effort. Like it, it was the Pacers and that Boston team were the only two teams that pushed LeBron to the brink. So you have Kyrie on the mend. You're coming back next year. Terry Rozier's trade value could not be any higher. He's on a rookie contract. You could have got a really nice piece for that. Like, like obviously you're not trading Kyrie, right? Like it just on a management standpoint, it would have been dumb. And like, obviously in hindsight, you would have rather kept Rozier after we know what happened with Kyrie. But From just a management standpoint, you know that Terry Rozier is better as a starter. Like, he's proven that since then, too. He's just better as a starter than a backup. And in that next season, he showed that. He just wasn't as good as the year before. It's like, oh, well, he's not that good. I guess we'll trade him for for Kemba. It's like, no, he wasn't that good because he was coming off the bench. And this just adds to everything we've seen with the Celtics that we always complain about age. Oh man, we were the next team that would have traded for Anthony Davis, but we just didn't quite do it. Oh, we almost had Paul George. Oh, we almost had Kevin love. Oh man. Kawhi Leonard was right there. We let him go. It's like, and I don't know if that's all PR bullshit or not, but I think Ainge has just valued his assets a little bit too highly and it's fucked them. It's fucked them. And like he, I mean, listen, we've, we've criticized the draft picks over the past few years they haven't been that bad. Like this year, Smith and Pritchard were two really nice picks. Those are two guys that are in the rotation. Like he's, he, he's definitely made mistakes. I'm not going to say he hasn't. And again, giving up Desmond Bain was really bad, but it's, it's not terrible. And he did ultimately make the trade for Tatum. When everyone thought Fultz was the best guy in that draft, he traded out of that pick and got the best player in the draft. Right. So he's made some good moves. Um, but he just hasn't known to, as far as the really big moves, he's, he's made mistakes and like losing Al Horford was not really his fault. Like you weren't going to trade him the year before. So him leaving in free agency is not that big of a deal. And it ended up hurting Philadelphia. So it's, you know, it's kind of like you wash your hands with it or whatever. Uh, but That's really been the problem. And this leads me into what I wanted to talk about, the trade this year that really was fucked up for the Celtics. And this is courtesy of a great NBA GM, Ryan McDonough. Just an excellent GM for the Phoenix Suns. Definitely didn't have anything to do with their terrible performance for 10 years. Had nothing to do with it. Definitely did not draft Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris in the same draft. He definitely did not do that.
0: And the guys in between them were Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, and Jamal Murray.
1: (laughs) And he definitely did not trade away the draft rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich. He definitely did not do that. So let's just make that clear. He did not do any of that. Um, But he's turned to become a reporter because he wants to stay relevant, I guess. But useful in this case, okay? So Alex, I want you. This is a three-team deal that happened this year. I would like to. I would like to hear your thoughts on who lost. Okay. So we've got the Wizards getting Daniel Gafford, Chandler Hutchinson, as we talked about, pretty good deal for them. The the Celtics, Luke Cornett, Mo Wagner. Okay. Okay. All right. The Bulls, Daniel Tice, Javante Green, Troy Brown Jr., and one point three million from Boston. Just a, a nice little gift right there. I would like to know your thoughts on who, who lost that trade.
0: I mean, I don't know, man, the wizards got gaffered. I mean, it just, it's a terrible trade for them. You know,
1: I mean, it's obviously the Celtics,
0: <laughs> obviously
1: this is, this is the road you wanted to leave me down, Dylan. So. And, and here, here's the beautiful follow-up to it. The prized possession of that trade for the Boston Celtics, Mo Wagner, which I just learned the other day. I'm like, huh? Mo Wagner is in a magic Jersey. That's odd. He's supposed to be on the Celtics. Oh, wait. They cut him for the right to sign Jabari Parker. I mean, what in the absolute fuck? You give up money, which, you know, in this economy, who cares? Like, money is whatever. You give up Daniel Tice, your second best defender probably, or well, that's tough because Boston has a lot of good defenders, but a really good defender, right? He was, he's a tiny, a tiny big, and he was, like, defending centers really well despite being small. You just give that guy away for Luke Cornett, who I don't even know if he's on the roster and Jabari Parker. Like what, what the fuck? What was that? Like I just, I need an explanation of some sort for that.
0: There is, there is none. Like, so, okay. The only explanation for trading Tice. So you're, you're a Moneyball fan, right? Yes. Can't play Pena. That seems to be the only explanation for the Tice trade because Robert Williams has been playing phenomenally. Since he's been inserted as a starting, or I guess him and Thompson kind of split starting duties. But that seems to be the only reason you trade Tice. And then Mo Wagner, who I would think we both agree is a better third string center than Luke Cornette, you cut him and not Cornette. I don't understand why, because at least Mo, Mo Wagner is good, right? He might not be great. I'm Okay, I'm not even gonna say good. He's above average. Like he stood out on those Wizards teams that were really shitty, like last year at the bubble. And he, I thought he played really well with Russ. And obviously, Gafford is a huge upgrade from Wagner, so I don't blame the Wizards for trading him. Right? I think that you know it makes sense to get off of him. But Wagner draws charges, and that counts for something in the NBA. So I, I just I don't understand that. And Cornet, i never thought Cornet was particularly great. I'm just gonna say that. I never thought he was, you know, like, like. There's been stretches for Luke Cornette, but the problem is he's not. Um, <laughs> I just don't think he's very good. I it's a terrible trade, and it seems to be a salary cap maneuvers. B, um, get Robert Williams for playing time, and you know you can at least defend the Robert Williams thing, but the luxury tax when you're in Boston, I, I just can't. I can't get behind that. <laughs>
1: And and it's just like I can understand that. Like you gotta do salary cap maneuvering, whatever. That's fine. But cutting Wagner for Jabari Parker, I just <laughs> I mean, we've we've seen enough of Jabari Parker. I'm sorry. Like I was a huge Jabari Parker guy in 2014. Um, but like let's we we know who he is now, and he's not better than Mo Wagner. Like it's pretty clear.
0: <sighs> I I don't know. I think that. I mean, Jabari played crunch time. I I turned on the um, Warriors Celtics game. I think this was about a month ago, actually, after they signed Jabari. First of all, I wasn't aware that he was a Celtic. (laughs) Second of all, I was like, wait a minute. Why is he playing crunch time for them? Like this team just hasn't made sense to me all year. And I think that's part of the problem for them. Like it just it doesn't make any sense. So I, I pulled up their salary cap page right now. It looks like they're 2.3 out of the lux- 2.3 million outside of the luxury tax right now. So put two and two together here. I think, I think the answer is obvious, you know, as to why <laughs> these trades were made.
1: I mean, at least like, at least Tice is a free agent. So it's like, it's not a guy that would have been good for you next year. I mean, he could have been, if you resigned him, but you know they—they they have so many issues salary cap wise. Like Kemba is going to make almost thirty-eight million next year to be—I don't know—your fifth best player. That's that's not great financials. I don't know a lot about money, but that's not great financials.
0: You know that's not something you should be saying, seeing as you write a, a business newsletter.
1: Um, listen. Even in jest, Dylan Hughes. I don't—I don't write about the value of humans. Okay, that's Fair. one thing I don't write about. Sneak,
0: sneaky thing I have because I pulled out the cleaning the glass um, salary page here. Marcus Smart, free agent after next season. You have to think mm-hmm. he's going to probably get twenty million or something like that. Like he's going to probably be due for a massive pay raise. And that, I, I don't know. At least let's just their their financials are all okay. So next year, because I think this is the last year of Tatum's rookie deal. It is. So he's got Kemba for thirty six million. Um, Jalen for 25 million, Marcus for 14 million, Tatum for 28 million, Thompson's on a 9.7 million. Um, you have a $25 million cap hold for Fournier. <laughs> and then you know, all the rest of your first round picks. Um Oshale's an unrestricted free agent next offseason, so he's gonna be out the paint. But I I just <sighs> this team, you you want to know what sticks in my craw, Dylan, that Danny Ainge didn't do. I would have rather them just taken Nick Batum or Miles Turner and Doug McDermott than the trade exception for Gordon Hayward. They could have had two, one or two actual NBA players instead of losing Gordon Hayward for a trade exception. You are not going to use. They're not gonna Like I think actually the Fournier trade was taken into that trade exception because I don't believe they traded. Um, they didn't send the magic any salary. So you used it on Evan Fournier when you could have used it on Harrison Barnes, when you could have used it on a lot of other bets, like you could have used it on Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald would have been a better fit for this team than Fournier. There's just so many guys that are making more money. And you're the Celtics. You don't have to be cheap. Like you're in Boston, of all places. Like, I I just don't understand the impetus of them not getting anybody back for Hayward. And frankly, not using that trade exception.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a damning thing. And like... I almost want to believe the Miles Turner and Doug McDermott thing wasn't even real because how the hell do you not take that? Maybe it was just Gordon Hayward didn't want to come to the Pacers, I don't know. Because how do you not take a awesome defender which you need at the rim and a good shooter? How do you not take that? I just I I don't even want to believe that that was actually a real thing because it seems too dumb to pass up.
0: So, okay. So, the Celtics have 11 million left in their TPE next offseason. So, because Fournier tapped into 17 million of that. So, I don't know who you're going to get for 11 million. It's a lot less, guys, than you could have gotten for 28 million. I'll tell you that much. And apparently there was a report that came out that Danny A. doesn't like Miles. Which is stupid, because... Miles is better than all the other centers on their roster. He'd shoot 37% from three the second he stepped foot on the floor with Tatum and Brown. I just, I don't understand that move. He'd be a perfect weak side rim protector for them. Obviously, you know, Miles has issues with Embiid, but who doesn't, right? Like everyone has issues with Embiid, but I think Danny Ainge just got too overconfident in his abilities because... Like oh we're just going to use this traded player exception we're going to get something from it not unless you throw like four first like you teams know your your leverage right like they know that they can use that against you so why wouldn't like let's just say the Kings they wanted to get Harrison Barnes right who I think would have been an excellent fit in Boston why wouldn't the Kings say okay fuck you you owe us first four first round picks for the right to trade for Harrison Barnes right like it seems like something realistically that could happen because the Kings have all the leverage in that situation. I don't know. I think the Celtics, um, they really fucked up here, (laughs) Um, but we, they still have some positive notes here. Let's go ahead and move on to our last question for the Celtics. Is Tatum and Brown the best, is the Tatum and Brown combo the best cornerstone in the league? I
1: say, yes. What do you say, Dylan Hughes? The only match that I could think of was Jokic and Murray. That's probably fair. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's as simple as that. Like, I just laid out like they're going to hang around in the East for 10 years because of those two, right? And right now, that long term, I don't think anyone else is keeping up. And I'm fascinated to see what happens in the draft with New Orleans because that could be a contender if they shoot up in the top four. But right now, Jokic and Murray is pretty clearly the only other one. I, I feel like I would give Jokic and Murray the edge maybe just after last year. Because what they did in a tougher Western Conference, and plus the fact that I think Jokic is just the best player out of all those guys anyway, probably would give them the edge. But I think it's neck and neck either way.
0: I would tend to agree. Plus, you know, wings are just generally better value than bigs nowadays, just in terms of like team building and whatnot. Like, look at the best teams of the last ten years. What are they populated with? Wings, wings, wings. So. <laughs> Tatum and Brown are ridiculous on defense. This Celtics team is ridiculous on defense. I want to say that before we move on. There aren't like a lot of like defenses that I notice, right? Like, I'm not like a particular, I'm not like someone who can break down defensive X's and O's real quick, like on the fly, right? And not a lot of people can. But I just appreciate the way the Celtics play defense where they're just flying all over the court, just so much action. I think that's why Neesmith is a perfect fit for them. Cause just, he's long and athletic quick. And you know, you have Brown, you have smart, you have, um, I think Robert Williams is good for that. So I, I really just appreciate the way the Celtics play defense. Um, but anything else on the Celtics before we move on to the Warriors, Dylan?
1: No, sir.
0: All right, let's go ahead and move on to our golden state warriors. So the Warriors are currently 33 and 33 good for ninth place in the in the Western Conference, they are firmly in the play in their last five games. They've had a doozy. <laughs> um, so they played the Mavericks and they got blown out by the Mavericks last Tuesday, 133 to 103. They then lost to our Timberwolves. To, actually, while we were recording um, the power hour last week, or a little before, because we recorded before the draft, but 126 to 114, they then beat the Rockets 113 to 87 then they split a pair of uh, road games at New Orleans they won the first one 123 to 108 they lost the second one 103 to 108 and the second one Steph literally shut the lights out Um, (laughs) it it was kind of actually funny and prophetic but So right now, okay, let's just go ahead and review the standings where the Warriors are, just to kind of give a picture of where they are. So they're currently ninth at 33 and 33. Spurs are falling fast at 31 and 34. And your New Orleans Pelicans, Dylan Hughes, are a game and a half back of that 10th seed, 10th and final seed. So there's a realistic shot we have Zion staff in the first round, in the 1st playing game. That would be... That would be so much fun. Um, just real quick. So the Warriors are a half game behind the uh, Grizzlies for the eighth spot. And then the, the trailblazers are 37 and 29 and the Mavericks and Lakers are both 37 and 28 On to the Warriors questions. Okay. So the first one, I went with the fun one for the first one. What's the worst team you could put Steph on to make them a finals contender. And I'm curious to see how much thought you put into this.
1: So I think I may have cheated. Because I, I would like to know your turn, like your definition of a bad team. Because I said Miami, just standings-based. But I feel like that's unfair. So I would like your thoughts on that.
0: So my first one, it was obvious, Dylan. I went with Memphis. I think that Memphis, um, you know, listen, we, we think they're a piece away from being a finals contender. If you replace Ja with Steph, I think that they – they make the finals. My second team. I only went with two teams because there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of teams. I feel like if you put Steph Curry on the Timberwolves, they make some noise, and I feel like they could be a fourth seed. I feel like they have the talent is there. Um, and I consider the Knicks, but the Knicks are too good. Like I was like, cause, well, you and I both don't believe in the Knicks. I think that's fair to say. And then I don't know, like teams like. I thought about OKC, but I'm like, their bench is too bad. Like, because the starting five was good, but then obviously they sat Horford and Shea hasn't played in God knows how long. Um, And they traded your boy Diallo. But I don't know. Like, I feel like, so what do you think, Steph? Do you think with Steph on the heat, do you think they win the finals?
1: I would say so, yeah. I mean, again, look at what they did last year with fucking tragic. Put Steph into that. What the hell? How do you defend that? How?
0: You can't because you have Bam playing basically a version of the Draymond role. And Steph, like with the way he's playing, he could be basically the 2000, like when KD was there on the heat, he wouldn't have to do his, his superhero act right now. And let me tell you, Dylan, it's been one hell of a superhero act. Do you know how many points a game Steph Curry
1: is averaging? uh let's say
0: 32 31.5 you're pretty close on 42 <laughs> percent from three on 12 attempts from three a game this man like dylan i don't think it's hyperbole to say this is by far like after 2012 this has by far been the worst roster staff has played with i don't think that's hyperbole to say at all obviously clay being hurt is a huge part of that, but man, the way what he's doing with this team, Dylan. I like I want to see him with actual teammates again. I want to see Steph play with actual guys who know how to play basketball. No offense to Michael Mulder, but I, I want to see him play with act like Dylan. Help let's help steal Steph Curry's contract and get him on the Grizzlies. What do you say?
1: I'm gonna do you one better, okay? Just think about this for one second. Steph Curry. Russell, Westbrook, Bradley, Beal. How many points do they score? How many points do they give up?
0: Oh, God. Well, Steph is the best defensive player of the three by far. <laughs> um, They score. I think Russ stopped shooting, and Beal and Steph combined for 35 a game. So you add Russ's assist to, like, Hachimura and stuff, they're scoring, like, 130 every game. Give up? Um, they're probably gonna give up 129.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was gonna say.
0: But I mean that team would be unstoppable. That would be so much fun just to see first of all, to see Russ and Steph on the same team. It would be like just (laughs) very weird, but I think very fun in that way. I don't know. I think that okay. Let me let me try how about this? Do the Raptors win the championship this year if Steph Curry is their point guard instead of Kyle Lowry? No, no. Interesting.
1: <laughs> Do you think that? I, they don't, get- I don't. I don't think. I don't think an upgrade over their best player is what they need. <laughs> I think it's everyone else for the most I, part.
0: I think Fred VanVleet's probably been their best player this year, though. Like,
1: okay, that's fair for the Raptors at least. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to act like I've watched a ton of them recently. Me either, but, but. I mean, I don't think. As good as Steph is, I don't think that fills their biggest hole by by any means.
0: That's fair. Um, Okay, let's just let's spitball around the league then. What if you swapped Dame Steph? What is what does Portland become? What do
1: you? Yeah, that that one is really interesting, especially lately because fucking Nurkic, man, just a superstar like. I thought he was down and out cause he wasn't playing that great, but I know he's had injury issues, but man, that dude is, has been really good lately. Um, like that, uh, a healthy Portland Blazers team. I mean, we just talked about how good that roster is and like how it's surprising that they're not playing better. And as much as I love Dame, it it's always been Steph and then dot, dot, dot Dame. Like there's a pretty big separation. So, yeah, I think you're you're doing pretty well. I mean, they're definitely in contention. I'll say that.
0: Okay. This team wouldn't win a championship. Hell, I don't know. But let me just ask you. You swapped Aaron Fox and Steph Curry. How oh. many games do the Sacramento – Okay, first of all, how many points a game do the Kings score? And then how many – like what seed do you think they finish in?
1: Okay, they're scoring 114 right now. Which is actually more than Golden State, by the way. So that's interesting. Um, I could see them getting up to like – they give up 118. I could see them just matching that maybe.
0: That's interesting. I, I think they could score more. I think, you know, you unlock Buddy Healed. You uh, let Halliburton operate like as a point guard and let Steph run off of screens. The problem with all these scenarios is he doesn't have his Draymond in these scenarios. And I think that Draymond is like a more of a key ingredient to Steph than we like. I think everyone just wants to acknowledge. Like, there was one play in the uh, New Orleans game that I'm sure you saw where Steph was basically holding his guy and Draymond was just dribbling right by him, Steph pops right back. Draymond and Steph just have such, like, good handoff chemistry. Like, it's incredible, like, how good they are playing off each other. And I think that he would miss Draymond, but I think, you know, Nurkic could do a reasonable Draymond impression. Let's let's think of one more team. Like, what's one more team you think would benefit from Steph? Okay, about the Bulls. What do the Bulls do with Steph? Like, are they a playoff team? With Steph as their point guard?
1: Oh yeah, they're a playoff team. What can you can you upgrade more than Thomas Saturanski to Steph Curry? I mean, you definitely could, but as far as starters, it would be tough well, you unless you're up- going, unless you're going to Orlando. You can upgrade.
0: Okay, actually, yeah, let's do that. Orlando's current roster with Isaac and Fultz hurt. How many games oh. do they win with Steph Curry as their best player?
1: Hmm. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're in the play in tournaments. So they're like in the low thirties at, at worst, uh, I would say, because like what step is, step is doing this in the West, right? So they have 33 wins out West. If they play the wizards, bulls and calves half the time, they're going to win a lot of games. It's true
0: to be I guess the only bad team that's actually like bad right now the only two teams that are bad right now no I wouldn't even say Sacramento's bad right now because they're on a four game winning streak but Houston's really the only bad team out Houston Oklahoma Oklahoma City only two bad teams out last right now
1: yeah and and by the way Cleveland low-key just free falling eight eight straight losses they they're trying to get those picks baby those lotto balls
0: oh my God I didn't realize we have a th- a three-way tie for fourth in the lottery odds between Cleveland, Oklahoma City and Orlando.
1: <laughs> for, this is I'm praying to the chaos gods for that to remain the same. That that will be fascinating to watch.
0: I just I really can't wait to see what the lottery order is, but I think Steph could take most of the teams in the league and make them All right, Pacers. Current state with basically Sabonis with with their level of dysfunction. How many games did the Pacers win with Steph as their point guard?
1: Yeah, I think he solved two problems with one, because I think everyone's like, fuck Nate, let's just listen to what Steph has to say and give him the ball. I mean, again, like as we talked about, that roster's not that bad. It's just been a lot of crazy shit that's happened. I mean, him, LaVert, and Sabonis alone are a really nice three. And they've got some nice pieces around them too. Like Brissett has been pretty decent and Sumner, you know, like I, I think um they have 30 wins right now. I I think if you had Steph the whole year, they could get up to that 37 range where the Knicks and Hawks are at.
0: I think that's fair. I got one more team for you. The San Antonio Spurs, you swap out DeJounte Murray. For Steph Curry, how many games does the Spurs win?
1: Man, I could see them as like the five seed, like maybe upper thirties, low forties. I mean, that, that's kind of been their problem this year is that they have like four good point guards, but none of them are like that great of shooters outside of Derek White, I guess. Well, I guess there's Patty Mills too. It's just really DeJounte. But if you inject more shooting into that lineup, combined with the, the defense and, you know, the playmaking that, they'd be pretty good.
0: I, this was a fun game, Dylan. Um, just a, just imagine Steph on a team. Um, okay. He's easily the first guard in our first team all NBA this year, right? I just want to double check with you. Yes. Like, it's, it's not even close. Like, I think that he is by far – I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Dylan. I think he's been the best player in the league this year. And I know Katie and LeBron have missed significant amounts of time, which makes it easier for me to say that. But I mean, who else has been better than he has been? Like, if he goes cold, the entire team loses. I can't think of anyone who's better right now than Steph Curry. I can't.
1: This, I think this is going to end up being the most debatable MVP race, maybe like at least in my lifetime, because every year, Like, look at the past few years, okay? Giannis has been on the best team in the East, or one of the best teams. James Harden, one of the best teams in the West. Steph Curry was obviously the best player in the league, and he was also on the best team in the league. LeBron, like, whenever he wins it. KD, you know, like, it's – they're always the best player on the best team, pretty much. But if you look at this year, the Jazz and Suns are really throwing a wrench into everything. Like, we would usually look to one of those top two teams in the West as, like, Whoever's the best player on that team is the MVP. I don't think Chris Paul or or uh Donovan Mitchell won an MVP this year. I just don't think so. So like then it's like okay is it Jokic? I think Jokic is a pretty consistent pick among most people. But after that it's like could Steph Curry win the MVP despite maybe barely making the playoffs, you know? Like, you can make the argument. It just goes against traditional standards for MVP.
0: I would say, so, okay, top five off the top of my head right now. Jokic is one. Just what they've done since, especially since Murray's gone down. Since March, they've been the best team in the league, like, just record-wise, I feel like. So, there's, like, they've lost, like, six games since March, Right. It's ridiculous. It's like two months worth of games and they've lost six times. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'd go Steph too. Like he's been ridiculously good. I'd probably go Giannis three. I'll go Joel four, even though he's very like I wouldn't have said he's played enough games for me to include him. Actually, let me see how many games Joel's played because yeah, 47. He's barely going to get to 50. I'll have him at fourth place and then fifth. I'll go with Luca. Like, Luca's quietly been going away, like, pulling away all season. And I think that, like, so 59 games for Luca, 28 points, nine assists, eight rebounds. Basically what he was doing last year. He's just basically been the rock for the Mavericks all year, and they're in the fifth seed right now. So I, I think that's, is that an unreasonable five, Dylan Hughes?
1: No. And, uh, yeah, like, I think the only legit two guys out East are, well, I just, the, the missed games thing for Embiid is tough. I like, I and I, it, it's a different season. Like the amount of games he's missed in an 82 game season wouldn't be as big of a deal. And of course that leaves him open to missing more games too. But I've always had a problem with the missed games thing. So obviously when he's on the court, he's an MVP candidate. But Brooklyn, you can't throw any of those guys out there because they've missed a bunch of time, too. Um, And then, so, yeah, like Giannis is really the only guy that traditionally makes sense. But, yeah, out West, I do think it's probably Jokic and then Steph um, because the Clippers, they don't have anyone that I would consider. And then the, the Lakers, same thing, injuries. Dallas, yeah, Dallas is really the only other team, and obviously it would be Luka. Where it's it's just such an odd year. Like I've never seen a year like this where there's been so many injuries and random teams have been like top four seeds. It just has thrown the traditional requirements basically for MVP out of whack, and that's that's why I think it it does make a lot of sense to throw Steph in the top two, just because it's like everything else is messed up anyway. Let's let's just not even worry the fact that his team is 500. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of people saying that Chris Paul should be the MVP. And I just, listen, Dylan, you know, I love Chris Paul more than most people love Chris Paul. I can't get behind that man. Like he's not even the best player on his own team. (laughs) Like I love Chris Paul, but Devin Booker is clearly a better player. Is it like a Chris Paul team in basically like every facet? Of course, but if you're not the best player on your own team, how are the fuck are you the most valuable? Like it's really Booker is just better than Chris Paul is. And I'm sorry. I They're both probably going to make my All NBA team because Harden's probably not going to have played enough games. It's going to be real interesting to do all NBA because I don't know what, I think my games cutoff is just going to be 48. I think because that's two thirds of the season, but I mean, Steph, has been, again, the best player in the league. And I know, I don't think he should win for being the best player on an eighth or ninth seed, right? But I think there's nothing wrong with finishing second, being the best player on an eighth or ninth seed. I think home court advantage means something. That's like, I'm not like old fashioned in a lot of things, but I do think you leading your team to home court advantage, like Russ, I understand because that roster, like, I mean, Oladipo and Sabonis weren't good. I know that they were good in Indiana, but they really weren't that good in Oklahoma City, right? Like, and you could argue whether Russ had something to do with that, but I think it matters to carry your team to a lot of wins that they shouldn't have earned. And I think that Jokic has done that, especially after Murray. All their guards are dropping like flies, and then Steph has done that, dragging this team to 33 wins. This team is probably without Steph. Let's let's actually look at the Steph game log because. I would bet you that this team in Steph games, because Steph hasn't played all 60, whatever, 66 games, but I would bet you in the games he's played, they have a, so 32 and 26 in the games he's played. That adds up, right? They're one in seven in the games he hasn't played. So I'm not saying he should, because obviously your team should be better, but given what he's
1: working with, he's really doing the most. You know, I want to return to the Chris Paul thing because Chris Paul is not, like, the normal superstar that's going to, like, score 30 points every year. And this is where, like, the most valuable thing is always debated because you can go at it from a lot of different subjective angles. And the Steph argument is one of them, but it's one that usually isn't used because, as I mentioned, it usually comes down to the best player on one of the best teams, right? But those guys aren't always the most valuable. Like, look at LeBron a few years ago when the Cavs were the four seed. You know, he was probably never going to be considered for MVP because they were the four seed. But that team sucked. If LeBron was not on that team, they would not be the four seed. And you could look at it the same way this year with this Warriors team. Like, look at the Warriors last year. Like, not a lot has changed with that roster except Steph is on it. And they went from being the second worst team in the league to maybe making the playoffs. So, but to return to the Chris Paul thing, again, the same thing with the warriors, like Chris Paul was basically the only addition you made outside of like Jay Crowder. And they went from being a bad team to possibly the best team in the West. Right. And yes, Devin Booker is a better player, but is that not because Chris Paul is allowing him to be the better player? Like, Chris Paul is stepping out of the way intentionally and when, when they really need him at the end of games, he still shows up. Right. So that just goes into the subjectivity of most valuable because Chris Paul is intentionally playing this way to make everyone else better. And he has undoubtedly made everyone else better. So like from a stat standpoint, yeah, like he may not seem like the best guy on that team, but as far as most valuable, I don't know. I I could see the argument for that.
0: I could too, but like I pulled up DeAndre Aiden's game log. I mean, it's important to remember with the Suns last year, their record was significantly impacted by DeAndre Aiden going out and getting himself suspended for 25 games. With DeAndre Aiden, in the games he played, they were 20 and 18. And then they finished 26 and 39 in the um, regular year. So do some quick math. They finished 6 and 21 without DeAndre Aiden, right? I didn't think the Suns were completely ass last year. And I think I was proven right in the bubble. Like, I think the Suns were a lot better than people gave them credit for. We saw it in the bubble, like how good they, how well they executed. It just was really that DeAndre Ayton missed. And I don't know if he played in the, I don't remember if he played in the bubble or not. I don't think he did, but no, I think Baines was the starting center in the bubble. No, he played in the bubble. He played in the bubble, but Ayton made such a huge impact for that team. And I, I think Chris Paul is great. Right. And I think undoubtedly they're not the second first seed. If he's not on the team, I will grant that 7,000 times. I just don't think he's the best guy. And I think, I think that, you know, the team it's tough because the team went from like, I'd say they were AC caliber last year to second seed. And I guess if you make that, if a guy helps you make that jump, you could say he's the most valuable. I just, I, I don't know, Dylan, it's just hard for me to square it because if DeAndre Ayton hadn't missed 25 games last year, what are we talking about? You know, like what's their record? Are they, are they in the playoffs? I'm pretty sure they're better than Portland was. La- I know Portland was injured last year, but I'm sure they would have finished with a better record than Portland, that Memphis and all those teams that of them last year. If Aiden stayed healthy.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I completely understand your argument. And again, this is why MVP is so, interesting because you can look at it from a million different angles and there's a lot of factors involved and i'm not saying chris paul should be the mvp or that he's better than Steph curry in this debate but i'm just saying i I could see the argument for it
0: it's fair it's fair i just i don't know i'm just i like seeing cogent arguments you know what i mean and i think that there's arguments to be made for Steph or for CP over Steph. I don't think there's argument to be made for Steve over Jokic. Yeah, like Jokic has been by far the more impactful player in like all aspects of the game. But we still have two more Warriors. But quest- I, I don't even think I want to ask the last Warriors question if that's cool with you. I just want. I think we'll end on the Draymond question if, if that's all right with you, Bill Hughes.
1: Yeah, you know, as as much as I'd love to talk about Michael Mulder, it can wait for another week.
0: (laughs) It can. So, is Draymond the best role player in the league? If you don't think so, is the lack of shooting an impediment to that crown?
1: You know, I was watching that Pelicans game, and I'm like, damn, this dude is still a fucking awesome defender. Like, I think everyone is focused on him not being as good as he was to say that he's not a good defender anymore. It, it almost seems like it's turned into that. And that dude was, like, really good defending Zion. How many players can say that, right? And Zion still had his way. Like, Zion is going to be one of those guys that's, like, mb right now where it doesn't matter if you throw Rudy Gobert up against him or whoever. Like, he's going to dominate him because he's just that good. But Draymond gave him fits. Like, Zion is a guy that can sit in the post and just get up a, an easy little jump shot. Or a hook shot, but Draymond was not giving him those shots, and it just made me realize because I had I just haven't watched the Warriors a ton the past two years really because they're not who we who they used to be right like it's it's kind of sad almost to like watch a team that was literally legendary and then watch them after and it's like yeah it's it's not the same um, but man like watching Draymond those that game was really impressive. And then on the offensive end, again, his scoring has never been that important anyway. The reason why he was so important to those Warriors teams with Steph and Clay were because those guys were so good off the ball coming off screens. Like, I don't think people understand or remember that Draymond was setting a ton of those plays up. It wasn't just Steph coming up, running pick and roll and shooting. Like, Draymond was usually doing some sort of dribble handoff or finding one of them on a back cut or something like he was running a lot of that offense. And yeah, like he could shoot a little bit better back then, but he was just never that good anyway. And it's really interesting watching those two play together now because Draymond just absolutely abuses like the fake handoff where he just runs to the rim after he gets an easy layup because Steph's gravity is so strong. There's always three guys hovering around him always and there's at least two that are really close to him because he's that good. And of course he still drops 30 a night, but Draymond is so smart. He's, he takes advantage of that. And he knows there's going to be an open pathway to the lane. If Steph's moving, cause he just attracts that much defensive attention and he'll fake handoff. And yeah, like he may only score six points a game, but he gets them by just being a really smart player. And again, the points just don't matter. Like it's, it's how he sets everyone else up. And even now without clay, Draymond is still doing a ton of offensive playmaking. Like Steph comes off a bunch of screens. That's what he's always been good at. And he can create on his own too, but he's moving off ball a lot. And the guy finding him is usually Draymond. And if Draymond wasn't there, I don't think like they may not be in the play-in because he really is that important to what they do. On both sides of the floor,
0: you you don't have to clean the glass. Uh, team stats page pulled up for the Warriors, do you?
1: Uh, yeah, I do actually.
0: Oh, damn it! All right, so you see that their defense is uh spitting. oh, I
1: don't. I have player stats. I don't have. Oh,
0: so their defense is fifth in the league right now. on cleaning the glass. Yeah, I mean, Draymond is easily on my all-defense team this year. Easily, like what he's doing, he should not be able to do like. IQ brings you a hell of a way in basketball, right? Like, there's no doubt about it. But this is one of the, I think, weirder stat lines in the history of the NBA, okay? S- seven points a game, seven rebounds, 8.7 assists, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks. Like, he's averaging more rebounds and assists than field goal attempts, right? He doesn't shoot. And I think that he should shoot more, right? Because... He probably just feels like he doesn't need to. And he probably, like, Draymond is admittedly smarter than 99% of basketball players, right? Like, I think that it's not quantifiable, but, like, just the way he plays on both sides, you just know it by watching him. Like, you get smarter by watching Draymond Green play basketball. Like, he had a couple of good blocks I don't in the Pelicans game. Just, like, him extending because of that ridiculous wingspan he has. And you're right about the defense on Zion. Like, it's really hard to guard Zion. It's not like that dude's a truck, and Draymond, he didn't make it look easy, and Looney was helping him out a lot, but they don't get that job done without Draymond. And I think that he is the best role player in the league because he knows his job, he knows his role, and he knows his role is to get Steph shots and to be the defensive quarterback. And when you do both those jobs well, I think, I think Draymond is this. I think Steph and Dre are basically one. 1-1-8 one one in terms of importance to the Warriors.
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny? I'm looking at the lineups right now. If you just take James Wiseman out of the picture, I think the Warriors are pretty firmly like in the playoffs right now because of their top six lineups, they had two negatives. Hints, Wiseman was the only one that was in both of the negative ones. Uh, or he's the only center, I should say. Like, if you put... You drop down to their second most used lineup with Kavon Looney, plus 8.2. And Kavon Looney was hurt at the beginning of the year. But Kavon Looney has been their best center for years now. And, you know, I guess it's – I was about to say no one talks about it, but I guess there's – it's kind of a – it's not something that people should spend their time talking about. It's the best center on the Warriors. But James Wiseman was definitely not it. And the lineups with Draymond at the four or at the five – they're plus nine and plus point or plus six point six. So that that just shows right there like the the defensive impact he can have. And like we know going back to the death lineup days that Draymond at the five is pretty impactful. But I mean we're like three years beyond that now, and, and he's still having an impact in that role.
0: So okay. I did you one better. I ran Draymond Green and Juan Toscano Anderson at the four. So I ran Draymond at the five. They're plus eleven in 929 possessions with a 108 points per 100 on defense and 119.2 points per 100 on offense. Draymond should be playing center full time, right? I think that's not maybe full time, but like he should be playing more than like he did during the the death lineup days because I think that he's very effective at center. I think he's on offense. It'll be just better when he's not having to, you know, it'll the spacing will be a lot better when he's not having to play the the four with Looney out there i know like him and staff just have like some kind of synergy to make it work but i think that his best position is center i don't think there's any denying that but i want to see it's tough i, I really want to see this team okay instead of the last question let's pivot Dylan. all right play in odds okay i'm gonna give you the teams that they're most likely to play in the play in and yes or no, do you think they'll they'll beat the team in the one-game tournament? And they do have Steph Curry, so they have an advantage here. If that's okay with you, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. Alright, so, the New Orleans Pelicans, yes or no, they beat the uh, the Warriors beat them in a one-game play? Yes. The San Antonio Spurs? Yes. Alright, now here's where it gets interesting. These are the teams in front of them. The Memphis
1: Grizzlies? ah oh. <sighs> I want to say yes, but, man, the Grizzlies have played really well lately. And, gosh, like I feel like everything outside of the point guard matchup favors the Grizzlies except for Draymond, I guess. Gosh. I'll just say yes because Steph in a one-game series could be crazy. So I'll say yes.
0: So they played the Grizzlies back-to-back on March 19th and 20th. They won the first game. Steph was out both of these games. They won the first game 116 to 103 behind 40 points from Wiggins. Mm. Let's let's see the next game. The next game they lost by eight. And there was no Steph. So I would say yes, they'll beat the they'll beat the Grizzlies. Now this is where it gets interesting. The Portland Trailblazers.
1: I'm saying I'll say no. I, I just think Portland has too much offensive creation. I I don't know. Like, unless Wiggins just goes off, which is possible, but I'll say no.
0: Okay. So, right now, this is the Warriors' remaining schedule. So, they got the Thunder two games in a row. Then they have the Jazz, Suns, Pels, and Grizzlies. So, they're, like, half a game behind the Grizzlies right now for eighth. I think – they could become the eighth seed by the end of the year. I don't know exactly where they'll finish but all right last two playing teams and then I think we're done for this podcast. So the Los Angeles Lakers I it's tough because of recent events with the Lakers.
1: They're gonna be healthy I, I say no
0: okay interesting so and then I think we both agree Mavericks is a definite definite no I don't think the Mavericks right like right this second are the best looking of those three teams obviously barring health for the Lakers. It's a different story, but anything else for the Warriors? Dylan Hughes, like any wants kind of Anderson love you want to give or anything else? Are we we good for today?
1: I mean, honestly, like I just a little shout out to Wiggins. I just think he's been really good this year. And that Pelicans game that they just that they lost. But by the way, shout out to the Pelicans for that game because they shut Steph down in the fourth quarter. That's why they won that game. They did a really good job defending him. And they would have lost otherwise because he had like 30 points going into the fourth quarter. <laughs> so they, he very easily could have dropped 40 that game. But uh, yeah, I think Wiggins has been a nice compliment and I'm interested to see them next year, man, when they get clay back, like it, it's obviously not going to be what it was, but it, they're going to be a good, they're going to be a good team.
0: All right. I I totally agree with the Wiggins thing. He looks amazing. Um, Dylan, I powered through. I made it through this podcast. Um, I told Dylan he might have to carry, might have to carry me. And I I don't think he had to because, you know, I I think I brought the good energy. I I got my second vaccine shot yesterday and it was kicking my ass a couple hours ago. Who knew DayQuil worked so well? Um, All right. Plug time from one young soul to another. Okay. I did broke this out on circle city cinema earlier this week. This Dylan's first time hearing this, at least at least I think. Okay. If you don't buy from one young soul to another seven 50 for a paperback, $5 for a digital edition on Kindle. I'll go to your house and I'll fill your mailbox with rocks. Now make sure it's like jam packed with the brand. And I think that I mean, Dylan, you would agree. That's where I would also glue the back of the mailbox shut. So you can't just push out the rocks that you have to admit Dylan Hughes. That's worth a lot more than seven fifty.
1: I think if you did it on top of mail, that would be great because they're going to, they're going to hear the mail truck. They're going to expect it. And they're going to go and see just a bunch of rocks. They're going to blame it on the mailman. So, and and by the way, opening a mailbox is a felony. So you're going to be getting away with a felony here And you can just blame it on the mail, man. I I just think it's it's a a very well thought out plan.
0: You know, hey, that's what that's what we do here at the um the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. Facts and stats, JD Hall. Um I sent JD the, the episode with you, Dylan. Um he's that should be coming out relatively soon. So make sure you check that out. Um let's our teams for next week. Our last week for the power hour, Dylan Hughes. It's crazy. Our teams for next week are our Grizzlies, Dylan Hughes' Heat, and my Toronto Raptors. And I think that's the first time I've done that where, it, where it's, you know, applicable to all teams involved.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. And it's, you know, I don't want to get all emotional because we still have time, but man, this has been a fun year. And, you know, we weren't sure how this was going to work out the way we we've done it, but I think it's been good and We've had good discussions every week. We've been able to – you know, I've, like, fallen in love with every bad team outside of Houston and Orlando. And when I saw that the Cavs were 21 and 45, I was, like, shocked because every time I watch them, I have such a good time. But they suck, and that's what it ultimately comes down to. But if anything, this year it's been fun to fall in love with the bad teams outside of OKC, of course, who – decided to trade away a 35-point score. Um, so, but yeah, aside from that, it's been a good year. It's been good to put all our hatred in the world towards the Marvin Bagley's and the Sam Prestes of the world. But yeah, last week, and then we're getting into the playoffs, baby.
0: I can't I can't believe it. So for the playoffs, um, Linsanity is going to be going to twice a week. And I'll, we'll, have to t- we'll have to talk about how many times we want to do Power Hour, either once or twice. But we, we can make it work either way, a week. But um, we're gonna split the teams for the first round. So Caleb and uh, the gang are gonna have four first round series, and then Dylan and I are gonna have four first round series. And we're gonna break it down for you in a fun way. Um, we're gonna make sure Zach has the Knicks. That's a that's a must. So make sure you check uh, the playoff coverage out, Dylan. We're gonna. Uh, this is just a little planning between you and I, but I think the week the week of the playing games, we should just do our all teams. We should just do a couple pods, knock out a couple of them, all NBA, all rookie, all defense. I, th- I think we should just plan that for that week of the um of the play in games, because, I mean, really, that's probably going to be the most pressing thing for us to talk about since Linsanity will cover the play in games for us. Um, let's go ahead and plug the other pods. So Divine Rhyme came out with a banger of an episode this week. First two Schoolboy Q albums um, remind me of the names again. I, I know
1: them, but I, I just can't remember them off the top of my head setbacks and habits and contradictions.
0: <laughs> and I, I thought it was a good episode, Dylan. How'd you think it went?
1: Yeah, I liked it. It, it was different than the, the J Cole. Um, I had some tangents. I, I took some unnecessary really? baby <laughs> and Drake. They, they were necessary, but unnecessary. And I'm a little bit worried that there's going to be a, a Marvin Bagley esque performance. When the baby comes to town next, he's going to have his best show. Um, which again, I don't hate the baby. So it's, uh, not something that I'm against, but I'm just a little bit worried that he's, um, going to take my criticism as hatred. It's not what it was intended for, but as far as school Q, great discussion and man, listen to these next two albums. I'm excited for our next pod too.
0: Yeah. The next two albums are oxymoron oxymoron, uh, that was easy for me to say in the blank face LP. And then he only has one more after that. Right. So Schoolboy Q month is going to be a little, a little shorter. So we'll, we'll work something out, but I, you know, divine rhyme is coming out of the gates. Very strong. I'm very happy with the direction divine is going in. Um, let's go ahead and move on to other podcasts. Lynn sanity. So they had a busy week this week. So last week they did the NFL offseason recap with Zach Griffith. This week they went over the NBA headlines. It's just Caleb and Bryce. Then yesterday, there's a triple option pass in Lin crossover. And that was that was a lot of fun. And because Ryan Gregory totally shitted on our team's uh our draft, Dylan Hughes, but it is what it is. And so make sure you go check that out. That was out um Thursday. This is coming out on Friday. So it, Divine Rhyme was out Thursday too. So make sure you check those out. Circle City Cinema. Um, interesting, interesting time for the Circle City Cinema. I there's this show on Amazon Prime. Dylan Hughes, called Invincible. It's like a it's an alternative take on a superhero show. It's made by the same guy who made The Walking Dead, and I did a podcast on that with Zach and uh, my friend Chris Logan. So if you're into the show, go check it out. And uh, Zach, Chris, and I all went on enough tangents where I think you'll enjoy the show, even if you haven't um, watched Invincible. Invincible is the best show I've seen so far in 2021. So um, make sure you go watch... Watch and listen to that, and then Road to F9 with Bryce. I think Devin's filling in for Bryce next week because Bryce is going on a little vacation. So Devin and JD next week. So that'll be fun. Favorite movies: Parasite with Dylan either this week or or next week or the week after. So um, it's
1: it's coming. It's coming this upcoming week. Ooh, yes. Date has been set. Date
0: has been set. Wonderful. Can't wait to. I have to watch Parasite first because that's a movie I want to see. So. i'll make sure I, i'll make sure i check that out dylan before i uh before i listen to the pod so best believe that best picture draft with me and bryce Shaddy for the movies between 1990 and 2020 that's how i knock out the 2019 best picture dylan so two birds me one stone and then boys in the hood with jd and his brother jamal um this week we did a uh, for the battleground we did rogers we did nfl draft we did um we did Lakers and we did nuggets. That was, that was a lot of fun. I, I was on there. Caleb was on there. Bryce was on there. Go check that out. And I think that's everything Dylan Hughes. Um, any last words, any words of wisdom like you give on the, uh, also you, I I have to say, will asked you what we were going to talk about on the um, power hour. And I think you nailed it (laughs) 30 minutes of, uh, of bitching about age, thirty minutes of me complaining about the Bulls, and then thirty minutes of us talking about Steph Curry. I think you got that pretty much right on the money. So, any any words of wisdom before we go, Dylan Hughes?
1: You know, it's uh it's. I, I just want to let me say something about spring real quick, okay? Spring is. I don't want to say it's overrated, but like it's it's uh, a tease, okay? Like. I'm looking at my window right now. It's supposed to thunderstorm every day. It seems like and it never happens. Right. So just fuck the weather. Okay. I don't care if the weatherman says it's going to storm. It's not. So go out, change your life. If you need to start running or you want to start exercising to get in shape, I don't care. It's not going to rain. Okay. Just that's my word uh, words of wisdom. It's not going to rain ever in spring. So don't worry about what the weathermen say. Just go out and do your thing.
0: Wow. Um, I don't know if I'd call that wisdom, but the weatherman getting unnecessary shots.
1: Um. <laughs> Very necessary. You go to college to, to read the sky. And you can't ever do it. None of them ever do it. Okay. Show me. I'm sure there are some that do it better than others. Go ahead and send me those. And I will, I'll do some research on them. But most of these people don't know what the hell they're doing. They get, all this makeup they go on tv and they lie okay are they they might as well be politicians that's what they are so wow. fuck the weathermen all of them and weather weather women we're not sexist here they all suck okay <laughs>
0: so, thank you for being inclusive on your ripping of of meteorologists ellen you know it, that, that's really what, I, what this moment needed
1: it, it's it's what i do i don't care what sex you are what gender you, if you're a weather person, you suck. And that's, that's the story of the day.
0: I, 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 you know, after reading off, I did a prompter stuff the last couple of weeks for my grad school. I'm regretting not becoming a meteorologist because it's the biggest grift of all time.
1: Exactly. You go up and you sit nice in your little suit and tie. Oh, you laugh with the anchor people. (laughs) Oh, it's such a great day. You drink your coffee. You go look at some weather maps and it's like, oh, wow, it looks like a storm's coming in. Nope, not coming in. It's It's got to be the best job out there.
0: As this is purely incredible content, Dylan Hughes, this is, I can't think of a, a either good way to transition to an ending or just way to end it well. So thank you once again for joining me, buddy.
1: <laughs> thank you.